Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people who are currently working in schools, and we talk about life in their current country and dive into some specific topics. The podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People always ask what Chromebooks we recommend and what Windows laptops we recommend, and after trying literally all of them, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more info and try out some devices, please just go to gg.gg forward slash Acer Education. That's gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get right back to you. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Apps Events. We're a Google partner. We work all around the world. We've just got one piece of new information right now. This is in, in January 2021. We're a G Suite Enterprise for Education partner. That's Giuseppe. This is a bunch of premium tools available to people using Google at their schools. We can help you get set up with a free one-month trial. So please check out the link in the show notes, and we'll do that right away. And now, on to the interview. Hi, welcome to the podcast today. Delighted to be having returning guest and good friend John Mickton back. Uh, John, how are you doing? Great. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, yeah. You know, like everybody, we're just keeping positive. Exactly. John, we've been chatting for about 30 minutes. John, if you check, we've chatted before about a few topics. He lives in Luxembourg. He used to live in Prague. He's lived in, I think, many countries, Asia, Africa, Middle East as well. No, never the Middle East, just no. Africa and Asia. Yeah. Middle East well, is next, maybe. Yeah, it's well. You know what? It's funny. It's um, you know the uh, what would you guess? So I, I know the numbers. What would you guess? Which countries have the highest number of international schools? I'm sure it's uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Yeah, well, that's yeah, exactly. UAE together. It's far, well, yeah. it's a grey area because you could it could be it's either UAE or China because it's hard to exact tell the exact numbers in China. But yeah, definitely UAE is 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 pretty Huge, much. Yeah, yeah. And I know yeah. Turkey also has quite a big uh, set of international schools or schools that uh, are bilingual with kind of an international school approach. Yeah, I think the top ones are uh, UAE, uh, China, um, uh, Thailand and Qatar are three and four, I think. Oh, close, between 80 and 200, depending on how you categorize them, just in Bangkok. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, it, it is amazing. It is amazing. And, and it's been a big expansion because a lot of the, um, we talked about this, I think, before, but a lot of the um, English, uh, British independent schools have kind of set up like satellite campuses. So you've got, you know, Dulwich College, uh, Harrow, a bunch of services up there. Some of these have like 10 schools uh, opening up across across Asia right now, Middle East. Well, Dulwich has become quite a large entity. I mean, they must be competing with GEMS and uh, Nord Anglia. Yeah, exactly. And, and Daniela, who, who we both know, has just gone to yes. work for them in the head, headquarters in Singapore. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we actually did a, a virtual learning loft about women in IT leadership. And she was there and we, yeah, she was updating us on that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yes, great. I haven't spoke to her since she joined, but I'm, I'm due to have a catch up with her in the next, next week too. So cool. Well, look, John, we're going to have a chat about a few things. Obviously, we're recording this. What's the date? The date is. Um, January the 23rd, 2021. We're still in COVID. We're in lockdown in Prague. Jonathan's in Lux- uh, John's in Luxembourg. So we thought we'd just talk about a few general things about, you know, um, COVID, teaching and learning, um, you know, teachers, IT departments. Um, is that good with you, John? 
Yeah, it's perfect. No, that, that those are some really good topics and uh, will be fun to share. Definitely. So, I mean, like, let, let's kind of kick it off, I guess. Like, um, so I find my notes here. Give me a second. Yeah, like, so, like, I guess we're, like, we're almost a year in, aren't we? Would you say? I mean, it's, it's about a year since this all started now. Uh, I think if you're one of the educators in China, it will have been a year exactly. Yeah, a little, uh, little more than a year. We went into lockdown on March 16th, but I think by February, we were anticipating something to happen. Yeah, so I agree. It's been a year. It's been a I remember time. talking to you when you were just, just about to go into it. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of a general thing, but like what are kind of a lessons learned? Like, I mean, obviously we're talking mostly from an international school perspective, but a lot of this is relevant to, to any schools. Like, like, do you think... Like you see a lot, you're a tech director, but you know, you, you've also, you, you know, you're involved in teaching and, and, other, and other leadership stuff. Like, do you see there's any concrete things that you see schools are, have got like, you know, do you think they've, they've got a policy to, to quickly go online if they have to for the future? Do you think anything's changed in terms of how the school operates? I definitely think many schools uh, understand that uh, flipping to an online environment is now a necessity and having some protocols and some agreements, definitely. Hmm. Especially because it's been so long. I think a lot of schools have had a lot of time. I think, you know, the first kind of part of COVID was that spring when many countries went into lockdown. And I think that was a huge learning curve for yeah. a lot of organizations. And then the summer respite kind of let people regroup and kind of take stock of what happened. And there was a lot of professional development and sharing. And I think this time round, uh, you know, there have been different permutations of lockdown, some hybrid, so some uh, groups of kids at school and at home, some even face-to-face -face with masks and social distancing and online. And I think now people have really, over the summer, people were uh, had an opportunity to kind of regroup and rethink and also kind of say, okay, we learned this, this is what we did, this is the feedback from the parents and the students and the staff, and let's yeah. recalibrate and kind of re-choreograph the way we do it. So I think it's two very different uh, approaches, you know, that first, which was more of an emergency, uh, not panic, but like in a very short time flipping into online, and now it's more, uh, you know, it's really looking at the pedagogy, understanding the dynamics of engagement when you're online with different age groups. You know, what do you need to do to make sure kids are engaged and understanding, you know, synchronous and asynchronous, kind of that new time uh, construct. And also just the technology tools, understanding, you know, how to leverage them and uh digital literacy and also for parents just you know supporting parents making things very clear transparent clear communication expectations being very upfront i think all those things have really uh <clears throat> changed in a very positive way after the summer i think schools have done a wonderful job of coming to terms with the learning and then there's been great PD, like your organization, you guys, apps events, you've done fantastic PD. And a lot of people are offering PD. And I think people are like, okay, I need to, I need to reskill and schools are understanding there has to be a new pedagogic approach, especially with assessment where often assessment was done face-to-face -face and uh, testing and then online, it's a very different environment. So I think it's been a huge learning curve. And I think, from my experience watching in my own context and uh, teaching some online courses and doing some work with other schools, I think the learning curve has been really well engaged. People have really taken it to heart and are trying to do a better job of it. And there's some really fantastic things happening. 
Definitely. Would you say, like, in, in, from your perspective as a tech director, like, was last year and, and this year so far, was it was it a lot harder than the years before it? Was it harder? Was it did, did you actually relish the challenge, or was it was it really stressful? Or like, would you say that was it was it a tough year? Like, or was it a, a year where it was just felt like it was kind of a you know maybe easier or maybe more of a challenge? I think for us, what happened was that we were fortunate. We had Schoology as our learning management system. Yeah. Uh, we have Google Drive and Seesaw. So our infrastructure was actually quite ready. And we had laptops and had teachers were used to taking them home. And so that was already part of the culture. So I yeah. think that's flipped. But it was more... Now that you're online, how do you kind of engage and make sure there's good learning going on? And there's this wonderful uh, research uh, that was done in 93 and 97 called uh, Transactional Distance Theory. It's Michael Moore, who is a professor, and he studied uh, how when you're in an online environment, so when you have a computer in between the student and the, the teacher, how do you have the best engagement? And basically there are three components to it. The first is dialogue. The second is structure. And the third is autonomy. So what from the research they understood is making sure you dialogue with the students, that you engage them, be it in a virtual chat or maybe a Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Meet, but where there is that interaction and, and it's frequent. Yeah on a regular basis. Structure is where you set up whatever structure you do, your Google Classroom, your Microsoft Teams, or your LMS, that it's very consistent and very clear. So when kids are going into those ecosystems, they don't have to try to find out where everything is. There's some consistency. Yeah. There's some norms. F folders are all one color for certain yeah. things. And then the third is autonomy. When you have choice, when students have choice and voice, they have a much higher intrinsic engagement with the learning. And so that has been kind of interesting because most assessments often are where you give something for them to do and they give a return. But what I think through the online learning, we're understanding that project-based learning, design thinking, where kids yeah, have yeah. choice and they have some parameters maybe through a rubric, but they actually have more voice and choice. And if you have this dialogue structure and autonomy, and they're really the sweet spot is where you get the best engagement. It's fascinating research, considering it was done almost 20 years before the situation. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you can send me a link after this, I'll put it, I'll put it in the yeah, show notes. Absolutely. Put a link yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like we've, you know, we've obviously run a bunch of Google events together, design thinking. We've also spoken together at ACIS a while ago. Hopefully we can do it again. But, yeah. but like, you know, the, the people we know who, who, are in, who are techie teachers or, you know, support staff or whatever, they, they were the people that I think best adapted to the situation because even though the schools were still teaching face-to-face, -face, if you got these tools, like you said, Schoology is an example, obviously Microsoft, Google, um, you know, if you were using these a lot of these tools already in a face-to-face -face environment, I think it was much easier just to transition to, a, to an online teaching environment. Absolutely. No, no, I agree. And I think the challenge was more now that it's all online, how do we ensure we deliver the same quality learning? And the problem that really happened was suddenly the parents were in the picture. They were in the living room and they're watching, yeah. uh, you know, and they're all they're seeing is a bunch of PDFs that a kid's clicking on and there's not much engagement or yeah, yeah, not yeah. meetings. So I think, you know, the first 
for us as an institution, the first part of the COVID, we really got some very rich feedback from parents. And then we recalibrated where we have regular morning meetings. There's clarity uh, in the structure. There's a, 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 a schedule really defining what asynchronous and synchronous means. So I think, you know, for us, the, the original question, was it harder? I think what's been hard is that we're still doing everything else. Uh, you know, we're adopting a new student information system. We have all those workflows. On top of that, we have this COVID situation. Yep. And I think where the challenge is, is the well-being. Is I think people just mentally, you know, uh, if you're at home and you have two kids and you've been cooped up for 12 weeks, uh, that's hard. And then trying yeah. to juggle a professional life and a social life and your family life. So I think what I'm seeing is more this uh, this idea of people really starting, not starting, but there is definitely this great energy required to being resilient and keep positive, even though there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So I think that's what was challenging for us. And I think actually in some ways, and I know I've talked to, uh, well, you know, Kim House, uh, well, I've talked with her about this a bit, is that actually the COVID is a bit of a silver lining because everybody suddenly had to accelerate their digital literacy and their capacity to integrate technology into their teaching. So really for us, it was a perfect storm. And now it wasn't trying to convince people, it was a non-negotiable. So I feel that our teachers have done a phenomenal job of adopting a lot of tech tools and more than just adopting the tech tools is the kind of strategies of pedagogy that they're engaging with, which are very different. Uh, I think that's been really exciting. And that's where we're starting to see we're doing many more what we call virtual PDs and really focused one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions of digital learning coaches and making how-to videos because suddenly we have a much larger audience that needs this and understands the importance. And I think with sure. student feedback, Kids are saying, this is not working. This is what I need. And suddenly people are far more responsive to student voice. It's funny, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I've, I've had conversations, I'm sure you have, even, even recently, even a few years ago with teachers, you know, mostly teachers maybe nearing retirement, but not always, sometimes younger teachers and who have just, who have outright being objected to technology in the classroom. They, they, they were educated a certain way. They believed in that you know it, it, it's a distraction but like th those conversations i just don't think happen anymore because every single teacher in the world has to deal with technology and and i don't think any teachers are saying there's no technology in the classroom anymore you know i think i think those days have gone i don't think that's possible especially that some schools it's about actually keeping afloat and making sure parents are willing to pay the significant sum of money for the services and the yeah. learning they're delivering so yeah quality and engagement, all those things, good learning. And, you know, there's the talk of learning loss and minimizing learning loss, whatever that means. Uh, you know, I think I agree with you, Dan. I think and I don't think there's a teacher in our building that would engage with that statement because they know that's just not possible today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, we talk, we'll talk a little bit more about teaching and then we'll get into like tech staff and stuff. Like, do you think um, how I'm curious, like what you've seen in your school and other schools, because obviously, you know, teaching well online requires a different approach. You know, we talked about synchronous and asynchronous. A lot of people tend, you know, there's different approaches in terms of teachers recording lessons, you know, the, the lesson becoming more of a homework session, uh, combinations of that. Like, have you seen um, 
school kind of top-down obviously we talked about the structure everyone uses meet or zoom or teams but have you talked about have you seen the school like implementing a certain teaching style or is it still kind of up to the teachers or are they getting guidance from what you've seen on on how to teach oh definitely i think when we first started uh you know everybody thought well we we have the professional uh, trust that everybody's going to deliver yeah. good learning when we flip into online learning. But I think yeah. collectively, many educators had never worked in an online environment or many yeah. leaders had never really. And suddenly the feedback, I think, you know, schools that engage with parent and student feedback on a regular basis were in a huge advantage because suddenly yeah. they were being told this doesn't work. My kid being online for eight hours, clicking on PDFs. Yeah. I need the teacher i want him to be working or she working in small groups so i think you know everybody if you listen to the parents and the students and the teachers and i think we have done that we've definitely have uh, have been more top down and i think that's been appreciated not in the sense that we don't trust people but more guidance and saying here's some commonalities that we're all going to agree to we all agree we're going to have morning meetings we agree we're going to print the schedule and make it available. We're going to uh, alter the schedule for online learning. We're going to have bigger breaks, 15-minute yeah. breaks between classes so kids can get off screen. We're going to make sure that not everybody's on screen for the uh, eight hours. All those things, I think, percolated up through the parent, teacher, and student feedback. And many schools took that to heart and then really reshaped. And I think leadership teams and middle management, even grade level teams all said, we need to be consistent. We need to have the same voice. And I think that yep. just came naturally from that feedback. So yeah, I think some schools have been very prescriptive. Uh, I know schools that actually you have to be on for eight hours and it's, you know, every minute is counted. Others have been more a holistic approach. You've kind of got the gamut, but I think, Everybody understands there needs to be some clear parameters and especially consistency in the way you deliver learning for the different age groups and some commonality. So it's more vanilla than a 32 different flavors. Definitely. Have you seen like at your school, can teachers have the option of teaching from their actual physical classroom or home or do they, do they have to come into the classroom? So in our case, we physically have to have all the kids at school. That's okay. a, the Luxembourg government requires that we have social distancing, a meter and a half between desks, a yep. lot of restrictions, no meetings with more than four people. Then you go virtual, uh, you know, all kinds of restrictions, which add a huge logistical layer to every day. And yep. then when we do have students that might test positive, then depending on the numbers and the contact tracing, then we will actually send a class home and they'll go virtual learning while they're in quarantine. So we'll so flip back and forth. You have and like then, a Luxembourg app, like a, a contact tracing app, so you can see. Is there like a contact tracing app you use? No, we don't. It's through the Luxembourg government. So there are certain parameters that we have to follow that are dictated right. by the Ministry of Education. Yeah, and it's yeah. very old style. We just find out where everybody was, who sat with who, how many minutes were you off with a mask at lunch yeah. when somebody was positive, those kind of things. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, we uh when we came back from the winter break we were online for a week so it's been back and forth so but that's our case i know schools that are still online fully online there's schools that are hybrid so in our upper school we actually have the grade nine tens and elevens rotate so one week online two weeks in school one week online because we have to minimize the amount of kids in the building and that kind of helps 
with just crowding. So those yeah. are, that's an example. But every school, there are a million permutations. But I think the most common one are fully online, hybrid, where there's a rotation of a group of kids at home and group in class, and then that rotation, or maybe face-to-face -face with restrictions. And, sure. and I don't know if I, I haven't come across schools that are completely open as normal yet. But I'm sure there are ones out in the world. I just haven't come across them. Yeah, there's definitely some schools in, in it. Well, not, not, probably not now. There's been a bit of a, a resurgence of COVID. But I know some schools in Hong Kong where they had, like, you know, pers perspex um, dividers between the desks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Part, now the classes were, were sort of generally the same, as far as I can tell. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Have yeah. you found, when you were when you were in fully online teaching mode, do you find did you find teachers and like tech staff and people came into school and, and worked from their school, or do you find they all worked from home, or did they even have the option of coming into school? So we that depends on the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Health in Luxembourg. So we yeah. are under their auspices. So for the week that we came back to the winter holiday, everybody had to work from home. The tech department, everybody. We were allowed a, a minimum staff of what we call essentials. So the maintenance team did keep coming because the heating and a lot of the building just to keep the building going. And I would come in or one of my colleagues in case they were laptops that were broken and we had to do a hardware swap. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do you see, so talking about tech teams, do you see any changes in how international schools are going to structure their sort of tech teams with coming from this, you know, in terms of, you know, do you think, I mean, I don't know to lead the questions, but do you think client service systems are, are on the way? Everything's going to be cloud-based? Do you think there's going to be different skills required or different people? Do you, do you see any changes coming or already, already come? I think your point about cloud-based systems, definitely. I mean, we understand that we need a cloud environment because it just doesn't make sense to be hosting a whole bunch of servers in your own campus. Yeah. I mean, just cost-wise. Uh, I think, you know, what is everybody understands the tech team is critical. It's life or yeah. death. So it's be true. nice to them. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and, you know, I know that uh, our tech support team and, and my colleagues have done a phenomenal job, but it's been much harder doing tech support virtually. Everything yeah. takes much longer. And we, yeah, use, we can connect and look at people's screens, but that is definitely something that uh, the, my colleagues were saying is that just everything just takes longer. It's yeah. not it's not the same as just walking into a classroom, unplugging, plugging, and then okay, that doesn't work. It, it just there's many more questions, back and forth, screenshots, and then also with supporting kids at home and parents, because you know, when things don't work for them, of course yeah. we are the front line. So I would say when we were online, uh providing online uh tech support, it was very demanding. And uh you have to be very creative, and I think you know. Hats off to the team. They just kind of had to think out of the box and think around things much more than because when you get up and go and see somebody, it's just much more transparent and easy. I think for digital learning coaches, what was, you know, there were kind of two phases. The first was getting the tools. Okay, how do I do this? How do I do the conferencing? My mic doesn't work. So that was kind of the first layer of support. But now it's more like, okay, I want to make an exit ticket. So I get student voice after every lesson. Or how do I really leverage breakout rooms? And so now we're really talking about more pedagogic approach. We know the tools. We understand how to harness them. But how do we make them 
engage in good learning. And that's where I think our, uh, definitely my digital coaches are focusing much more on, less on the how to do something and more what is an effective way of engaging in learning with students. And that's been really exciting to see that. Definitely. I'm curious about like, how, how many coaches, tech coaches do you have at your school, John? So we have two upper school coaches and two lower school coaches. We're 1,400 kids. And have they, like, in this time, have they had to get involved in, like, obviously, you know, coaching teachers is, is what they do, but have they had to get involved in just helping out with parents and other things? Has, has there been, like, yes. a broadened stuff? Has it, has it just been just jumping into everything? Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, they, their approach has always been very much, we'll, we'll support anybody with anything. And yeah. so, yeah, there's been a lot of just, you know, uh, in Seesaw, I, the barcode doesn't work. How do I get into my Seesaw classroom? Or kids writing, my mic doesn't work when I'm in Schoology conferences. Yeah. And, you know, those kind of things. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, generally the whole tech teams and, you know, IT departments with library departments also, we don't need to forget, can't forget the librarians because they have flipped all their books online with OverDrive yeah. and, you know, so I really feel what I'm seeing, uh, you know, from my interactions with people in different schools is uh, digital learning coaches, libraries and tech teams really have elevated uh, their capacity to address all these different workflows. And it's it's been really interesting. It's exhausting, but it's also quite admirable how they've engaged with this in the library teams, especially, you know. Basically, we have online checkout. We've actually seen an increase in reading since we went online. More wow. books were checked out virtually than when we're physically on campus. Wow, that's fair. and that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, people, a lot of people, coaches and, and other tech-related staff, have, the 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 forward-thinking ones have seen this as a chance to shine. Seen this as a chance to like, you know, I can. I mean, and you know, this it doesn't mean everyone is is doing a great job all around the world. That's obviously not true, but but uh, I mean. I, you know, I've got kind of got a self-selecting group of people I know because the people I would know are the people who are who want to get involved and do all this kind of stuff, you know. But but I think, you know, the, the clever ones are seeing it as a chance like I can shine and I can show what I'm worth now, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing is that suddenly, you know, you you're, imagine you're a parent and you have three kids and you're paying, I don't know, 25,000 euros or $36,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And it's because you get the field trip, you get the sport. Yeah got the big gym, the swimming pool, all the after school activities. When you go online, that all disappears. Yeah. And then, okay, I'm paying $36,000. What am I getting, you know? And that narrative suddenly, I think, came into play. And suddenly schools, many schools were like, okay, we need to make sure we're delivering top quality. And parents feel there is the added value that we can differentiate our school from others by the type of online learning we provide. Definitely. I'm curious what you think. I and mean, obviously, you, you know, you're not a, a virologist or you don't know what's going to happen. But what, what do you think is coming in? And in, in, if you were going to like look into your crystal ball for the rest of this year and next year, like what, how do you see in terms of, you know, schools going back to normal travel, face to face, hybrid? Like how do, what, what, what would you predict if you were going to take a guess? I mean, then we can take a look back and see how well you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this is going to take longer than we anticipate. And I think it will be a lot of back and forth still, I think, in the next few months. I think, you know, it's going to still, I think many schools are still going to be online hybrid. I think we, the face mask and the social distancing and the temperature checks and, you know, not having group activities and no after school activities, et cetera. I think that's going to continue for some time still. What next year looks like, I mean, 
I'm I'm a blindly pe pes uh, pe not pessimistic, sorry, optimistic, <laughs> very much optimist, and I hope that yeah we're back to normal. But I think you know using the word normal, I caution that because we're never going to go back to what we knew. I mean, this has changed. I think this has changed us all in some way, and so whenever we are less constrained by masks and social distancing. What have we learned and how have we changed? How is that going to reframe how we move forward? And I think that is really hard to guess. I definitely think the whole digital literacy and digital fluency and the importance of uh, IT departments and you know the ecosystems like uh, G Suite and Microsoft Teams and learning management system, we get it. Those are critical and they are the future. So digital literacy, digital citizenship, information literacy, I think everybody, you know, you, you watch on YouTube the predictions for 2021, 21, 22. Everybody mentions digital skills that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also digital citizenship, you know, the ethics yeah. and the values and, and being uh, balanced. I think the other big thing is wellness. I have, yeah. you know, wellness has really come out strong. Many people have struggled through this and they have been resilient and they come in every day and they do their thing. But we don't know what's going in the home environment. Yeah, I mean, for parents, I, I mean, especially as a parent now, like it's I'm lucky that I, I have a I have a, um, an off away from home office, which is just me, you know, so my life hasn't changed. But I know if you take cities like I guess Luxembourg is an example uh, where most people live in apartments and you have two parents working from home and maybe not a huge apartment. I mean, it, that's definitely the case in, in Hong Kong and Asia and a lot of the Middle East. And you have two kids at home. Like, that's a tough environment for, like, every day, you know? I mean, here now, I mean, I can hear all kinds of chaos going on with my kids. Like, like if I had to deal with that the whole day, like, that's that's hard. That's, that, well, that's a real issue mental health-wise for people. Absolutely, Dan. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, as we speak, I've, just, I've got an invasion. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> hey, Jonathan. Nice to see you, buddy. You can join the call. Yeah, sorry. Carry on, John. Uh, no, I think the wellness and the stress, you know, there, there I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, there's this uh, theory called about surge capacity. So no, when, when you, for example, say, not that this is going to happen, your house burns down. So there's the tragedy, there's the emotion, there's, you know, what's the sadness. What's that? What's that? but you know that the house, you have house insurance and it's going to be rebuilt. Yeah. So you build kind of your surge, your resilience, you, you yeah. build the fodder to get resilient and say, okay, yeah. we're going to rebuild the house. What this is, is the surge capacity is that we've been in this for a long time. People have to refill the resilience cup constantly. And there really has never been something like that. And so for yeah. people that, you know, the, a lot of people have lost family members and haven't been able to go to the funerals. A children, yeah, well, one, of my best, one of my best friends, um, same thing, couldn't, couldn't fly home for it, you know, to his mother's funeral. Exactly. Uh, weddings and, and, you know, relationships. And, you know, there are many of our teachers who are single and, and you know, yeah, and and single people. It's, it's, a, it's a tough time for single people. Yeah, absolutely. So I think all those things packaged together get layered on top of, you know, the digital learning and the IT. And, and so it, it, it's quite a it's quite a heavy load. And, you know, a friend of mine who's a director of a, the American International School in Chennai said the man of the year should be the teachers of the world. And I so yeah. agree with him because 
it's just phenomenal how many millions and millions of people and in international schools we're very fortunate you know we often are have great resources yeah but you know i've seen pictures of teachers driving to kids homes and doing math outside the window and you know you I, a lot of people have seen those kind of anecdotes yeah. and, you know and in a lot of areas where there's social economic challenges you know i mean uh, in england you know the, the, they're going to push free internet for i think oh, you know hundreds of thousands of kids yeah. because they don't have access and parents have be are using 4g and that's really expensive so the, the layers of complexity and how resilient and somehow people have been able to think out of the box and say okay i've got all these challenges but i'm going to come up to the plate and persist be yeah. a child or parent or teacher or whoever that's amazing and it's i true. think my my hope is all that learning is going to allow us to do things that we never thought we could do before. That's my hope for the future. Yeah, I, I, I hope. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a, probably a good kind of thing to sort of end on. But I think hopefully we can use take the positives from this and use it to make you know education better, the world better. You know, like that. That's what I hope. You know, I mean, it, it could go the other way, and people are spending way too much time online getting into their own. You know, echo chamber, and that's a whole. We, we could talk for two hours on that topic, you know. That's but like, a whole think, other topic, then. <laughs> but like, I really hope that the, the positives outweigh the negatives of this time of working from home and everything, you know. You know, I, I, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out to you and Apps Events because you guys have offered a lot of free online uh, PD, and I know many of my teachers, yep. my colleagues have really enjoyed it, and other people. That's great. And I, and a lot of companies have been doing that. You know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, even if it's just get togethers and sharing tips. So I think on the professional development level, there's been some really exciting things. I know a lot of yeah. people have suffered because of it. And now you see more online courses. But there has been a lot of rich resources out there shared, be it social groups, yeah. uh, professional learning networks or organizations like yours. And I think people really uh appreciated having that and and you know hearing from other practitioners and being able to share strategies yeah. together and it's learn true. From yeah i mean we, we it was a tough one yeah i mean it's hard to, to adopt i mean hey jonathan just i'm gonna finish in a minute okay so if anyone listened to the podcast i've been invaded by my son i mean um the thing is we made a decision just to do three summits every month we do two a month completely free we have multiple yeah, sessions yeah. we have two three and seven yeah. and you know i mean it, it's kind of a, it's a strange thing something you would normally charge you know, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's, a, you know, people get value. They pay three or four hundred dollars or euros, but I, I, th I believe they get more than that value when they come to one of these events. But give to give all that for free. But I think it's the right thing to do because you know, we can survive in this period. It's it's so hard to, to, to charge. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel I don't feel anything bad to anyone who's trying to charge for for online conferences. I just think for us, it was the right decision. We'll just put it all up for free, and then hopefully people will come when we start running face to face again. You know. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. And I think people will be hungry for more because everybody's upping their skills. And, yeah. you know, it'll be less about how do I do Gmail or Google Drive, but how do I leverage that for making this lesson really powerful? What are some things that I can do with these tools to really amplify the learning? And I think that's really exciting place to be. It's true. I mean, I mean, Tommy, if you take, I'm sure you're the same as me, I mean, how much now would you like to fly to a different city, go to a conference, meet your friends, go out for a beer, a dinner? Like that would be like a dream scenario for me right now. Yeah. No, I, I miss that. And I miss, you know, we're actually getting learning two together and we're, we're, we haven't been able and we're thinking, okay, we're yeah. going to do another virtual conference for the spring. Yeah. And it's, 
Yeah, and I miss those social contacts. I think everybody is feeling a bit, uh, you know, a bit of a tear not being able to go out with their mates and catch some good music or yeah, try yeah. each. And I think we're all hungry for that. But uh, I'm just going to be patient. I'm I'm going to let time and make sure that you know we get this thing out of the way before. I run to the beach. Yeah, it's definitely. It's good to hear your prediction. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I was, I'm too optimistic. I, I thought we'd be back to normal by now. I, I really think, like you say, this year is going to be back and forwards. I mean, I, one thing is, I'm not one of these people who think this is forever. I really think it, it might take. Hey, Jonathan. I mean, it might take a year, but the world is going to go back to normal. You know, the world is going to be. It is. We are going to meet face to face, and this is going to be something people look back on as like a crazy time and you know I, I really believe we are going to get back to normal i would like to plug a book it's called the yeah. pale rider yeah pale rider it's about the spanish mm. in 1918 i yeah. highly recommend it it is a phenomenal story written in 2017 and it's about the spanish flu and reading it during covid was just amazing the similarities and there's a great scene where the mayor of new york apparently had his mask dangling from the side of his face and some uh journalists took a picture of it and then it got published in the local paper and there was this big kind of storm about it and and just those little anecdotes and some of the stories how you know this happened before this has happened before yeah. And I think so many people forget that, you know, 50 million during the Spanish flu. What are the lessons we can learn? And the book is... Exactly. I mean, mean, there's still people alive who lived through the Second World War when, was it, 60 million people died? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, and my granddad, when I I talked to him, I was always so impressed how he came back and just went to work and got back to normal. You know, he just just got on with life, you know, and that that was a, a million times more catastrophic than what we're going through now, you know. And that's the hope about humans. You know, we're just so resilient and we're positive and we just get up and keep going because we really just want to, you know, do something good. We want we want to make sure life continues. And I think that's, you know, that's a testament to everybody. Definitely. Well, John, pleasure to talk to you. Um, Likewise. Uh, yeah, great, well, <laughs> great, great to talk. Great, great chat. Um, John, I think we'll, we'll put links to your email or Twitter, whatever, if people want to get in touch with you, like usual. And, yeah. Twitter and uh, Pale Rider and the Transactional Distance Theory. Transactional. Fantastic. Cheers, John. All the best. See you guys. Bye. Thank you, Dan.